This is The Scene Podcast, a show about identity. Not your typical interview format, I ask guests to provide a list of the ways they have been viewed, acknowledged, and judged throughout their lives. This scene list reveals and guides our dialogue about identity, visibility, and invisibility while pursuing the question, how are you seen? I'm your host, Miranda Wiley. In this episode, I talk with Whitney Stafford. For years, Whitney was placed in my mind as the fun, flirty, and quirky Annie Hall, because that's how I met her, as Annie Hall at a Halloween party. It wasn't until years after our first meeting, when we found ourselves outside of a bar on a cold night, that the costume was shed and Whitney came into focus for me. I was miserable, pregnant. She was miserable, dating. We both traded stories of how people were relishing in what they saw in our lives. How fun to date, to go out for dinner and drinks and meet new people. How fun to be pregnant and eat whatever you want. We were both struggling to reconcile the version of life people saw and the version we were experiencing. We were angry, we were blunt, we commiserated. Neither of us said it'll get better. Whatever that magic is when two people let their guard down, don't fear judgment and compassionately listen, that's what happened. Some refer to that magic as becoming friends, holding space, or being seen. I considered crafting Whitney's interview into a narrative arc because, you know, it's the winning podcast formula. I'm a junkie for the jump cuts and music interludes. And also, I love hearing someone speak from a place of raw openness that can trail off and circle back. So I've left Whitney's interview mostly unedited, because as you will hear, her scene list is pretty present day. And talking through her scene list provided another lens to process what Whitney refers to as a year of intense therapy, reconciling her past and her present. So here are some things to know at the top of the interview, because I'm not inserting any narrative voiceovers. We recorded in June 2017. The reality of a Trump presidency was really settling in. Whitney will refer to her nieces. They are the teen kids of her brother. Whitney has worked as an executive assistant, which she refers to as an EA. And I asked Whitney for five to ten items for her scene list. She gave me 12. And we jump right in. Here is Whitney Stafford reading her scene list. One, at work, at least five times today, are you okay? Two, coworker, maybe you just have RBF, resting bitch face. Second, coworker, no, it's more like resting concerned face. Three, me, um, I'm nervous. My boss, just go up there and give him that big smile. Ugh. Four, when I first met you, it seemed like you smiled more. Was that fake? Five, what do you do? Me, just change the subject. Six, you have been so helpful. I bet you are such a great mom. Seven, uh, my friend wrote on a job referral, Whitney's the kind of person who gets a lot of shit done, but you have to get out of her way. Eight, are you married? Me, no. Oh, so you're divorced? No. Oh, but you're so pretty. Nine. Oh my God, you're 40? 10. Me, I met someone. My sister, okay. Me, you don't seem excited. 
my sister, I, I like you better when you're single. Eleven, therapist, what you're describing is bullying. I think your brother was a bully. Twelve, dad, I'm glad we had the long talk. I feel closer to you as my daughter. It really opened my eyes. Thank you. So what was the experience like recording the scene list? I didn't really realize what a pattern there was of the things that people say to me and how, like, I couldn't believe after I had written the list, then again, a coworker said to me yesterday, like, smile. Um, you're so much prettier when you smile. And I was like, are you serious? How fucking much has this happened in my life? Um, I think I'm a little bit numb to it. Yeah. I mean, that's what, hearing you read your list, I'm struck by... Um you being seen as a smiley, helpful person, and um, which can you imagine ever a man being said, like, you're so helpful, you'd make a great dad. <laughs> like, that just would <laughs> never happen. Um, so you're helpful, and you're pretty, and you have this big smile, but then you also get accused of having this resting bitch face. Right. I was thinking about you, I was imagining you going out to present something, and so the person's like, just give him that big smile. So, like, does smile feel like smiling feel like performing to you? Um, I mean, I can say when, and it was actually my boss who said that to me, and I um, I was disappointed in him, mainly because I thought, I have worked so hard on this presentation, and I'm so excited about it, and I really have thought through everything I want to say, and you think all I need to do is smile. Like, I, like, I want to get this right, and do this right, and do this well, and you think all I need to do is smile, and I think it just made me feel like he misses the point about what I can contribute. Um, I also, like, I don't know if it feels like performing. Is, I'm very aware since I think everyone knows whatever it is that they bring that people notice a lot if you've got big blue eyes or whatever. So I think I know that my smile is something that people are attracted to or pay attention to. It just doesn't mean much to me. It's like that's not very original is what I think. Like you're not paying attention. Like you basically have said like you have green eyes. I'm like, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Like, <laughs> right, but it's also thinking about that way, like, that's all that you have to contribute to this mm -hmm. is your smile. And so right. you're just, like, this object. So just go up. It doesn't matter what you're saying. People are just looking at you, and you're smiling, and, and that's it. Yeah, and I must do it a lot when I meet people because I always – I think the resting bitch face and all of that comes after. It's like a disappointment that I am not the smiley, like – good girl they think I am like I have had friends who found out I smoked a cigarette and were like oh my gosh and I'm like I, I don't know at what point I ever told you I was like a goody goody but I think it's like this first impression and then somehow I let them down um I don't know how so maybe I do it out of nervousness I don't know why I smile at people and then stop <laughs> like yeah. Do you have a sense of like when you like you mentioned the word disappointment? Is there something that has happened that you can sort of maybe recount? And maybe it's like in this trajectory, like thinking about the workplace of like going from being I mean, smiling's not a bad thing. Right. So it's like happy smile. I'm like, I'm happy about doing like I'm happy to be here today sitting with you. Right. It's very natural to smile. But then like, do you feel like there's a point when it switches or can you recall a point when it switches where it's like, I'm no longer smiling about this. I'm frustrated. Like, this is now my resting bitch face. Right. I, and I don't even think it's about frustration. I think it's about focus. Like, I think that I'm either, like, 
engaged with someone and smiling and thinking about them, or I'm focused on what I'm doing and focused on what I need to accomplish. And I don't, I can't necessarily do both of those things at the same time. So I think there's this expectation that I'm like super engaged in you and, and like, smiling at you and paying attention to you, which when you first meet someone is easier to do and more important. But like, if I'm working on a project with you, I'd, I just don't, I want to think about the project. Like, I don't want to think about like whether or not you're like feeling comfortable and I'm smiling to make sure that happens. So I think it happens the most at work with my coworkers. Um, and I mean, I think most of them experience me as someone who smiles a lot if they hang out with me outside of work, you know. But at work, I'm, like, serious. I have shit to get done. Yeah. I mean, I, I've gotten that a lot, too, in my yeah. life. And do you think, like, your coworker is saying it's more resting concern-faced? Is that is that person trying to advocate for you? <laughs> like, was that a compliment? I think it was. But I also think no one says to a man, you have resting bitch face. No. Like, this is, like, such a thing people say now. And I'm like, how did this become okay to tell me I look like a bitch? Um but, uh, yeah, I think she was advocating for me. And I think she was also, you know, like, it's like Whitney is not a bitch. Like, she's far from that. I think she yeah. just looks, like, focused. Um, so, yeah, I think she definitely was, like, advocating, like, that's not a nice thing to say to somebody that they have RBF. Um, yeah. Which even that it, it, like, has an acronym now. It's <laughs> so fucked up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's actually happened at the last two places I've worked. So this isn't, like, just start one time. Like, the RBF is, like, something people are like, oh, you're one of those people with RBF. (laughs) Fuck that, man. All right, so moving on through your list, thinking about um, this one comment from your sister. Like, why do you think your sister likes you better when you're single? Um. You know, I think this this comment can come across as something that was um, derogatory, but I really actually, something about it I loved. Um, I felt like my sister was giving me permission to be single, especially in our family where it's, um, I think it's a little awkward that I am single and that, you know, there is this expectation that I shouldn't be or that, you know, like, At Christmas, they'll feel like they have to explain it to their friends, like Whitney's not married or something. And so I felt like it was really actually this, like, kind of permission to, like, say, screw it, it doesn't matter. Um, So I think that, like, I think most people were like, she didn't give a shit that you're dating someone. And I was kind of like, thank God she doesn't give a shit. Like, she just likes me and she's fine with the fact that I might be single forever. And Mm -hmm. it's not, like, this death sentence that... We have to all be worried about Wit because she's not found the one. When do you feel like you are the best version of yourself? Thinking about in terms of like in a relationship or not and like your sister saying, oh, I like you better when you're single. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm an accommodating person in a relationship and um, I'm also – I mean, beyond that, she also said you're really uptight when you're in a relationship. Um, and I think it's because I care a lot what people think. So it's it's um, it comes out more when I'm in a relationship of like worrying then what other people what people think of that person as well. Um, so uh, I'm probably a better, calmer, nicer version of myself when I'm single. Yeah, I that feels true. Um, 
like hopefully one day I'll get that right and then can also be a cool, awesome version <laughs> with somebody else. But yeah, I'm definitely more myself and more relaxed and care less what people think or I don't have this extra layer of it. So in that way, like you really were feeling, you really were seen by your sister. Yeah. You know, that she gets it. She knows you and she sees how you can accommodate somebody else and maybe lose a little bit of yourself yeah. when you're in a relationship. Yeah, it was surprising to me. I mean, and me and my sister are not, um, like, we don't have really deep conversations. She's, like, more of a jokester. And so, yeah, for her to, like, even say anything about it was surprising and really nice. Um, also, my, my sister's been married since she was 23 and probably doesn't even have one single friend who's single. So it's not like this is her MO. I think that she she was she, I, she did actually even say like I don't even know anybody who else who is single wit, but you could, you're fine, you're better that way. Like and it was fine. It was good. All right. So we've we've been talking a lot about your sister. I love to talk now about um your brother. Um this this line here about your therapist telling you that you um have been bullied that your brother sounds like a bully like can you tell me more about um what that experience was like of having someone tell you that your brother is a bully like was that a big moment of realizing that he was yeah it's a lot to for me to process I also think it's been kind of the piece to the puzzle of like understanding myself and so many more things making sense. Um, I think it's a piece of why I choose to, or I've chosen up until this point to be alone. I think that I spend a lot of time protecting myself. And the first time I read the word gaslighting, I was like, oh yeah, shit, that is exactly what happens. And it's also, I think, has affected me as an adult of being confused a lot. Like being like, thinking I'm, I know what I'm saying and then changing my mind easily because someone told me something different and me like, and, you know, I would have said before that lo- that was, like, me being able to uh, see both sides of the coin. But I think it also was, like, me being able to, like, give up myself super quickly. Um, I think when she was, like, have you, um, have you, like, ever heard about, like, what the effects of bullying are? And I, like, I just imagined people who were, like, bullied at school. And I was, like that's not really what happened. And she was like, yeah, it was much worse than that. Um, And it was for much longer. And I think it was in every, like, aspect, like physically, emotionally, verbally. Often, you know, the story would always be, well, Whitney, why are you letting him get to you? Like, stop getting so riled up. Like, stop. Whereas, like, somehow this was my fault that somebody is terrorizing me and I'm bringing it on like I it's my fault that I am upset about it um there is an ongoing joke in my family that Whitney's always screaming and I mean like one that is a joke like oh god like there she goes again screaming and and I think in the last year I've been like fuck if I was always screaming why weren't y'all like paying attention um I was always trying to explain to people that it wasn't sibling rivalry um, that it wasn't uh, me. My dad would always say, you you and Jay, you just don't get along. I know you don't like your brother. And I, I could never, like, explain. I'd be, always be like, no, that that's not it. I do love my brother. Like, I, I really tried to love my brother. Like, um, 
and I don't think this is sibling rivalry. Like, I don't think this is like, ha ha ha, like, um, you know, um, and I, yeah, in retrospect, think about all of, I mean, there's like stories that my family tells of like Jay tying me up to a chair and like, or rolling me up in a hideaway bed or chasing me around the house. And like, I guess in some families that could have been sibling robbery, except I was a defenseless person. Like you couldn't really defend myself to him. I also spent all of my time with him because the judge decided we had to live together when my parents got custody uh, or my dad got custody. He, my dad got full custody of my brother because my mom did not fight for him. And then they they fought over me and my dad got 50% custody of me and then the judge decided we had to live together. Which is, like in retrospect, I've thought a million times, like what if I had not happened? Like what if I didn't have to live with this person my whole life? Um, we traveled together to go see my mother. So I spent tons of alone time with him. Um, I feel like I'm the person who actually knows him the best, has experienced him the most. Can you define what gaslighting means for people in your words? Um, well, I also think President Trump is a gaslighter, (laughs) (laughs) which I think that I have this whole other, like, and there's a bully running the country. I can't handle it. It's too much. Um, like it feels so personal. Um, but I think it's, you know, when somebody, you say something and then somebody kind of turns it around and, and next thing you know, you're having a conversation about something totally freaking different and you're arguing about something so different. And, and like I, the example I always give with my brother is that he will say things and I'll be like, no, that's not, that's not true. Like you can say it louder and more, um, stronger and like more incessant than me, but it just still is not true. <laughs> like, like that's. Um, but he's a master manipulator and liar, and I also believe he believes it. He believes his lies. Um, I think also my dad, or people would often say, you know, when he's just jealous of you, I'd always be like, I don't even know what that means. Like, like I got fired last year. Like, what is he jealous of in my life? Like, I'm not sure what he, everyone thinks is going so great. I mean, my life's, but I do have friends and love and like, um, but I realize, like, he's jealous that I have those. I have relationships. Um, and I always had them very easily, but I would say that I have them easily because he didn't. I would say, like, I'm smiling all the time and being nice because he was causing a scene. And I felt like I think when things are out of balance or somebody in the room trying to balance it, and, like, I want to not stop being that person who's trying to do that. So the parallels of this are really astounding in a way of like realizing that you have not really been seen or heard in your family. I mean, you've been heard. People are hearing you <laughs> scream, um, but they're not doing anything to address it or think that it shouldn't be anything other than Whitney needs to stop. Um, and now we have somebody in office who w- I think a lot of people who didn't vote for him are trying to understand how did we get here, you know, yeah. and it's. I think for both of these kind of stories, it's a long history and pattern, and um, it takes a while to see yourself out of it in some ways. So, Yeah, I also think, you know, um, I was raised by my dad. I am very much like a daddy's girl, whatever that is, and um, it never occurred to me that my dad didn't, like, 
believe that a woman could run the country, but, and he wouldn't say that, but uh, he says so strongly, like his opposition to Hillary Clinton feels like, I just don't like women like that. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, when he says it, I just cringe like, oh my God, you really actually just don't like a woman in the boardroom. Like you just don't like that pant suit wearing, like, and hence like why I feel like I have to be cute and darling. Like, you know, like you like that version of women, whatever it is, like it has to have this like softness to it. And, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, the women in his life, he has an assistant and that's who I am. Yeah. Um, I I hate to like my dad is, it's a tender subject, I think for me, because I love him so much. And I, I think I thought most of my life my mother was uh, the problem. And, um, you know, my mother on the surface really is a problem. Uh, but I think the way that my dad views the world has affected me. And, like, I'm slowly finding still at 40 my own voice. And being able to just say it is hard. I still don't really tell them. I don't think I'd let them listen to this. So we've talked a bit about your dad and sort of an origin story with him and how he views women and how you've kind of slipped into that role of support and, um, you know, there with a smile to do whatever whatever is needed. Um, and we've also talked about how he has not really been there for you in some ways as um, advocating for you as being bullied um, by your brother. Um, but... I was really struck by the last way that you were seen or the last one one on your list, um, talking about this conversation that you had with your dad. Um, so if you would like to expand more about that, about how it sounds like you had this conversation and he really saw you. Um, yeah, and it actually was last weekend. So this is definitely new. Um, my dad and I have in the last year, I guess probably since November, have argued, we don't really argue. And we have been arguing a lot about my nieces, about what I think is right. I feel like every time I get on the phone with them, somehow I'm like, I don't know, pissed about something. And so, um, and I was there last weekend for Father's Day (laughs) and I was just pissed. I was just like in a bad mood. Um, There was this video, which is so crazy. So I wake up to this, like, roaring laughter on Saturday morning, and it's my dad and my stepmom, and I walk out, and, and I'm like, what, what's so funny? And they're like, oh, my God, Whitney, you have to see this video. And my dad says, Whitney, the guys at your work are going to think this is hilarious. You have to show this to them. And I'm like, okay. And they're watching Fox News, so I already know this is going badly. And I this is video, and it's this, like, matrix of, like, hot versus crazy, um, like, and like where women, women, yes, yeah, and so you know, there's a zero to ten for hot women, and then there's a but the crazy starts at four because all women are crazy, and like I don't even get past that. I just was like, y'all hate that's offensive, and not all women are crazy, and I don't want to watch that. And and then I walked out and tried to come back and have a conversation with my dad, and then it turned into like I at some point he was like do you really think all lawsuits are legitimate? I don't, I don't know what, it just like was like a pointless conversation. And he very much like chopped it up to like Whitney is a liberal and that's why she doesn't understand this. And I was like, it doesn't matter what political views I have. That like, it's, it's not okay to think that women are crazy. And then my stepmother was like, well, I'm a woman. And I thought it was hilarious. 
so this like put me in a bad mood I think for the day of just feeling like I don't belong in my family and I'm not understood and they think I'm a stick in the mud and I'm no fun and I'm just always uptight and pissed about something and then that started to be really true because I was pissed the rest of the day and so like by the end of the day my dad and I after dinner I was just like you know dad maybe I'm just angry and I I don't think y'all like it and I don't know how to not be angry right now so like I, I just won't come around maybe or something because I think you want me to not be angry and I'm angry like I think you know about so many things and he's like about the world like about Trump I'm like yes and I was like but eventually it led to a conversation about my brother and really um like the first time I think I ever used the word bullying with my dad um or maybe I've said it before and he didn't hear me and I didn't feel hurt or something but I definitely said it and he heard me and after I said I you know dad like, Jay doesn't love, like, he's not, like, he's not, like, he's a, like I said, what would happen if you cut Jay off? And he said he'd never speak to me again. And I was, like, exactly, like, this is, it's about him, like, everything's about him. Like, I think he is a sociopath, (laughs) and um, I think that's a strong word for me to use for my father to think about his son that way, but um, afterwards said, you know what, he was, diagnosed with a personality disorder when we were younger. My parents had him committed when we were in seventh grade, when he was in seventh grade. Um, And then he just, like, started to kind of, like, not even go into all these stories, but he was kind of, like, talking, you know, about my brother getting kicked out of camp. And, like, and he started to just, like, say all of the times that he, like, realizes, oh, my God, Jay is a bully. Like, you are right. Like, this is, did happen all of the time. Like, how did I not see it? Um... And, you know, and then I really was like, you know, and the fact that it's still happening with my nieces is really a trigger for me. And, like, so y'all want me to move past it, but it's still happening. And so I can't. Like, I feel like somebody has to defend them. And I guess that's my role in life because I I can't not do it. I cannot not feel like I feel I'm responsible for helping them see, keep their voices clear and be who they're going to be and, um, yeah, it was a long conversation. We stayed up till 3 o'clock, and I cried, and he definitely, I mean, my dad was said, you know what, you're my favorite person in the world, and I, it just kills me to think that you think I don't care about you and don't love you, and, and I was like, but you don't know me. Like, you don't know me at all. You don't like the things that you, I like. Like, you want to write me off all of the time, and um, he said, I, I thought, um, I've just always thought you were okay. I it never, I never thought, and you know, Jay just takes up so much time and energy. He's always been a pain in the ass. And I mean, it's my father's like biggest guilt is that he has a son. My father's like a very stand-up person. He has a son who's not, and that's a hard pill for him to swallow. And think he got it I think he heard me and then he sent me that text the next day yeah do you want to read that again Um, that scene dad I'm glad we had the long talk I feel closer to you as my daughter it really opened my eyes um yeah I think he kept saying um I want um well like 
I think he desperately wanted to be close to me, and he was starting to do this thing lately where he's like, I realize I ruined your life. Because I was, I'm, like, angry all the time and saying stuff, and he's like, I realize you hate me, and I, I thought I was a good dad, but apparently I'm not a good dad. And I was like, oh, like, that's not fair. <laughs> like, that's a lot for me to take on and think, like, I'm not blaming you for ruining my life, and nor do I want you to walk around, like, thinking that. Um, so for him to say, like, I feel closer to you as my daughter felt like the right reaction to me sharing how I feel about things and not this well, sorry, I didn't mean to fuck up your life. Um, it felt like I get why you are the way you are. I get why you're sometimes defensive. I get why you're angry. I get why you don't always chill out. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I felt very seen. I felt very heard. And I feel like this anger that I had dissipated a little bit and like we were on the same side. And maybe he will protect my nieces in the same way I will. And maybe it's not just my job. And, um, yeah, it's amazing how when you get seen, what a gift that is. And how so much you can let go of, like, whatever that story was, I felt very strongly like I needed to tell it and hold on to it. But once it was heard, I felt like, okay, I can let go more. Like, screw it. If we have, like... If they want to look at that video, I don't really care. I didn't really care about the video. Like, I mean, I don't like it, but it just made me mad because it was just, like, one more example of, like, them just being so out of touch with what's hateful in the world. So, so yeah, it was nice. I saw him, too, for who he is. There's something about conversations like that where it's, like, the, all the defensiveness is gone, all the, like, tracking all the stories and like the the just recalling and just acceptance like the it scoreboard's just, gone yeah the score exactly the scoreboard's gone we're just here seeing each other and I don't need to try and like recall and be defensive about what I was thinking in that situation it's just a blank it just feels like it's like this opening up and it's just this blanket like to just accept what is happening and yeah. It also felt like this moment where I could stop defending the past and like I could just go forward and be who and what I'm going to be. But I have spent so much energy like defending this place of being like y'all aren't going to defend me or help me or take care of me. And you're going to really like ignore the fact of like what happens to me. And so I feel very like like, I have to put this armor around me. And yeah, it kind of went away. And I was kind of like, maybe I can just stop telling this story now. So what would you like your scene list to look like in a year from now? Just, I would really like to be seen in the world as somebody who you can't mess with. And, um, like, and not because I'm, like, defensive and have a wall up, but just because I'm, like, strong and um, stop tolerating, tolerating bad behavior. That'd be awesome. Um, also, I would like to get to a place where I've kind of accepted. I'm not, like, waiting for my life to happen, waiting for me to stop being an EA, waiting for me to, like, decide that it's okay that I'm not having kids or getting married. Um, I would like to be the person who's, like, in charge of <laughs> Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your scene list, and thank you for having this conversation with me that started – at my kitchen table over tequila, I think we were <laughs> drinking. And you uh, 
were just encouraging me so much to do this in some format. Um, and I couldn't get you on the stage for the live show that I do, but you said, I will do something like this and have a conversation. So you have been a person that has been helping shape my story. And I feel like I've been helping shape your story too. And like the fact that you are now in a program to, um, do you want to say what program you're in, by the way, to start to like get out of being an executive assistant? Oh, that I went back to school? Yeah. Yes. I, I went back to school, which I hope is part of the solution. Um, I also think actually this whole year of like therapy and dealing with bullying is part of, part of it. Um, and is like allowed me to dream a little more. Um, yeah, I don't know if school I think is the solution. I think school is an action and step in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm I'm the solution, <laughs> and have to kind of get out of my own way um, and have to stop feeling like this role is what all um, all I can do. Because I mean, it's not. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Whitney. It's a pleasure to be here in a recording studio, not at my kitchen table, although I love having it at my <laughs> kitchen table, but now having this uh, shape in this way and to have a, a formality and a format come together to have this conversation, it feels really nice. So thank you. Yeah, we can do it with tequila next time. Yeah. <laughs> Whitney, again, thank you for trusting me with your scene list, helping shape this podcast, and for keeping my voice clear. The scene team includes me, Miranda Wiley, and producer Mariah Gossett. Editing by Sarah K. Mohammed and Andrew Mohammed. Music by Solid State Dream Suit. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at scene underscore with underscore Miranda. What's on your scene list? Tell me with the hashtag, how are you seen? And if you're enjoying this podcast, please write us a review or give us that five-star rating. Thanks so much for listening. 